This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bible to Acts chapter 19, and I'm going to start reading from verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought before him, before his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of Jesus, to, to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, "We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches." Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, "Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you?" Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they filed out of the house naked and wounded. Nobody's ever left you naked and wounded. I want to speak to you this morning about something that I've titled, But Who Are You? But Who Are You? As we navigate our Christian walk, one of the things that we're always trying to do and, and a commitment that we make to ourselves if you're really passionate about your Christianity is to walk into the blessings and the design of God. And we're always learning about how we need to do that. The thing is, because we're all created separately and individually, we very much become dependent on the Holy Spirit because he can put principles into our life. But the point is, the application of that and how that's relevant to where I am and and where it is on my journey becomes quite important because he's going to make some alterations and some changes inside of us so that we can step into what he has for us. We all want to realize what God has for us. And sometimes we get a little bit frustrated because along the journey, we find that the outcomes aren't what we've been looking for. And it becomes a challenge to us. So these itinerant exorcists and the sons of Sceva were watching Paul. And they had their eyes on him. Because he was in town. And when Paul was in town, things happened. When Paul was in town, miracles happened. When Paul was in town, demons were cast out. And they spent time looking at him. And they spent time listening to what he did. And they were affected and influenced by who he was and what he was capable of doing. And they watched that and they they knew that there was something that was at play there. They knew that there was something in operation and they wanted to be a part of that thing. And so when the opportunity presented itself and a man came to them who was possessed, they remembered what they had seen. And they made a withdrawal on their knowledge base. And they operated out of what they knew. And they went to the man and they said to him, in the name, this is the paraphrased version, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we cast you out. They had learned enough so that they knew what they should be doing. They understood enough that they knew that the words of their mouth were designed to have some influence in the situation. So they started using words to speak things and to bring about change. The thing is that they didn't get the result that they were expecting. The challenge with it was that when they got to that place, they were looking for this evil spirit to leave, but that never happened. In fact, there was a response that they never anticipated. Sometimes we do that as Christians. 
I think that sometimes we hear truth and truth is real and truth exists and truth is powerful and truth has impact and influence. The challenge with it is we have a look at it and what we try and do is we try and learn the principles. We try and build up a knowledge base within us as to how we need to do certain things in life and how we need to successfully live the Christian life. And so what happens is when we're confronted with a situation or a challenge, we defer back to our knowledge base. And my knowledge base says, fine, when you're confronted with this, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to say. This is how you need to behave. The challenge with it is is that sometimes the circumstances and situations don't change and move and aren't affected the way that we anticipate. And all too often what ends up happening is those situations turn around and they sit and say, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? Who are you? Who of you becomes really important? Because he wasn't questioning their knowledge. He was questioning their identity. He didn't say to them, you know what? You don't have enough belief to do this. He didn't question their belief. He questioned their identity. He said, who are you? Our identity becomes important because what he was really saying to them was... What kind of authority do you have to bring about change in this situation? He was questioning their power base because your power is in your authority. And if you don't have authority or you lack authority, the challenge with it is you can do what you want, you can say what you want, but things don't happen. Authority is not in what you know. Authority is in who you are. Let me give you an example. When you get your driver's license, they give you a little booklet. It used to be a little booklet of two pages, but then as the years have gone on, the rules and the laws have have changed. So now you get a little booklet that's about this thick. So you read through that. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) You read through that. Why do you read through that? Because you're getting an understanding. You're building your knowledge base about if I'm to navigate the streets, how do I do it in a safe and effective way? So what I'm doing is I'm building up my, my, my knowledge base about the rules that govern the road. I'm building up my knowledge about, base about the regulations that govern the road and driving. The thing is, just because I know all of those things doesn't give me the same kind of authority that a traffic officer's got. I know all the rules, but I don't have authority. He knows the rules, but the rules have affected and influenced who he is. And because of who he is, he's able to do things that you can't do. Because you're not the traffic officer. The information, the knowledge, the truth has not influenced your identity so that you were able to put on the uniform and stand there and bring about change. You see, power is rooted and grounded in authority. And authority comes in your identity, not in your knowledge base. It's the challenge that so many Christians have got because we learn a lot of stuff and we know a lot of stuff about God and we can give you scriptures and we can quote the verse and we can give you everything that you need to know about that. The problem with it is we're building up a place, we're building up a reservoir that is all about knowledge, but it's not about power. The whole point of it is God sitting saying, I want to introduce you to something that's going to change your life. And it's not a knowledge base, it's an identity. It's about who you are. 
part of the challenge that we have as Christians is that when we're young, we're zealous and we're enthusiastic to know about the things of God. Knowing about the things of God is good. And there's nothing inherently wrong with knowing about the things of God unless you camp there. The reason that God gives you his word is not for knowledge but for transformation. The reason that the word is there is to bring about change in your life. So that you're not somebody just a, is able to, to talk about and, and, and regurgitate the rules and regulations of the, of the road. But you're able to put on the uniform so you bring about change. The word is there to transform, not to inform. If we're living in information, you're living without any kind of authority. If you're living without any kind of authority, you have no power to bring about transformation. If you're not transformed in yourself, you're never going to transform your world. Why? Because you don't have an identity that's established on authority. What did Jesus say? All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. If you're lacking authority, there's one place you can go. Somebody who has a monopoly on it. The thing about it is this. He's not going to sit and say, I'm going to do it for you. He's going to introduce you to who you were designed to be in him so that you can live off that authority base and bring about change yourself. Here's a shock. With all the things that we learn about and all the things that we study, I would put forward to you that one of the, if not the most important thing outside of being born again, that you're going to study in the word of God, is all about who you are in Christ. It's number one. And everything refers to it in one way or another. Everything makes reference to it in one way or another. Old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. It's talking about your identity. You're not who you used to be. So who are you? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is it talking about? It's talking about the fact that who you are and how you define yourself needs to shift because there's something fundamental that's happened. It's talking about your identity. It's not talking about your knowledge base. It's talking about who you are. And it's sitting saying that the invitation that's extended and everything that God has provided for you is all about giving you the materials and the mechanisms necessary to step into a new identity. Because when you step into a new identity, you live from that place and you bring about change and transformation. What is the whole point of the parable of the sower? He's sitting saying, you're supposed to be somebody else, but I'm struggling in some of you to bring about change and transformation. Because some of you have got weeds and some of you have got hard places. But he's sitting saying, I'm really committed to the whole venture of you stepping into who you've designed to be. It's all about transformation and newness. It's all about who I'm supposed to be and who I'm, what I'm supposed to live from. It's about identity transformation. These are those on good ground who hear the word, accept the word, and bear much fruit. We don't always think about this, and, and particularly in the day and age in which we live, and a lot of really that's been spoken of from the platform. We live in this, this concept of immediacy. I just accept the word and I just speak it out and things happen. It's not what it said. You hear the word, you accept the word, and you bear much fruit. There is stage, there is 
growth. There is process to what's involved. Firstly, get involved into a place where we're able to hear the word. If you're not hearing the word, you don't have the raw materials to build a new you. you. I've got to get the word on the inside of you. It's number one. Not up here in terms of what I know, but in terms of revelation that gets into my heart. I've got to get the word. Here's the word. Accepts it. Accepts it is has to do with your belief system. Accepts it has to do with the fact that it wants to infiltrate, it wants to have influence, and it, has to, it wants to redesign the core building blocks of your life, which is your beliefs. Your beliefs don't come from your head. Your beliefs come from your heart. I haven't got time to speak about this, but one day, I, maybe I will, I'm going to speak about the difference in the concept that the old world have versus the new world has with regard to the heart. We have got a very different perspective of it because our default is to the mechanism and to something else that most people can't define. But from the original point of view, when they spoke about your heart, they were speaking about the very center of your being. That's what they were talking about. And, but anyway, the point is, the thing is, transformation has to take place on the inside of you. God is wanting to establish the very building blocks of your life. He's wanting to influence and affect your beliefs because they define who you are. What he's saying is, when that takes root in your life and it has influence, it'll bring about changes in terms of who you are and you present yourself differently because I'm not who I used to be. I've now been changed. I've now been transformed. And I'm looking a whole lot more like Christ in me. And when I look a whole lot more like Christ in me, the next step is bearing fruit. Fruit is born out of your identity, not from your knowledge. Who you are is going to bear fruit in your life. The point that's important about this is it works both ways. It works both ways. The principle for generating fruit in your life remains the same. It's dependent on what kind of inputs you're putting into your life. That's why the word becomes important. I'm going to touch on this next week about the importance of us being um, guarded and how beliefs come about in our life. And the reason that it's so important is because the thing is, every time we give something access to the very core of our being, we allow it to define our identity. And what we allow to define our identity is given the privilege and the prerogative of bearing fruit in my life. Mark chapter, uh, what is it? Mark chapter 9 verse, Mark chapter 4 verse 28. It speaks about the process that we go through. And it speaks about the importance of the word. And it speaks about the fact that God is wanting to do something in your life. God is wanting to change who you are. God is wanting to affect the belief system of your life. So it transforms your identity and you become more like who he is. It speaks about the word and the fact that when the word is grounded and rooted in our lives, it goes through process. And it speaks about first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. What is it sitting saying? You're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and look like Christ. It's saying we have a responsibility to seed our life. We have a responsibility to make sure that we keep other things at bay. But as we allow the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of us, he begins to change who we are so that who we become looks more like him. And when we live from that place, it introduces us to the opportunity to have influence and power over our situations and our circumstances. 
Our beliefs is more than an expression of the convictions we have in life. I would put to you that your beliefs are a mechanism for constructing your identity. Your beliefs construct your identity. Guard your heart. Why? Because it's the place that's going to define what you look like. Your beliefs are not something that just kind of infiltrates your life and it's not just a thought. You don't live your life by thoughts. You live your life according to beliefs. Beliefs are far more systemic than a thought. A thought is something which may be fleeting. It may not be. It may be here today. It may be gone tomorrow. But I don't live my life according to thoughts. I live my life according to beliefs. Beliefs are something that infuse and inform my entire being. All of who I am. Proverbs 23 verse 7. Says out of the abundance, uh, uh, Proverbs twenty three verse seven says, um, "For he, uh, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he." But never mind the rest. He who thinks in his heart, what he's talking about is this: the things that are alive in the innermost part of your being, the things that have been given access to that part of your being, are going to define what your future looks like. Be careful what you put in there because it's informing your belief system. And when we start to live off of our belief system, it informs every part of who we are. We live that way and we become an expression of that. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples. And he says, okay, off we go. And they're on their way to the other side. And Jesus falls asleep in the boat. And we all know what happens. There's a big storm that comes up. And what's interesting is when we have a look at the storm is when we start having a look at the responses of the disciples to the storm. They had a look at what was happening around them. And the problem with it was this. They looked at it and they began to think, we are not going to survive this. This is a bad one. This is a big storm. These waves are bad. This wind is howling. And it's not going to get... We, we are in a bad predicament here. And so, because they started thinking that, the next thing, they started feeling a sense of dread and a sense of fear. I, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't have the ability and I don't have the capacity to be able to bring about any change or influence in the situation. So they were filled with fear. Because they had a look at who they were and they didn't see any authority or power to have influence in the situation. And so they made a decision and they said, fine, what we'll do is we're going to wake up Jesus in the boat. And Jesus gets up and Jesus calms the storm and it's interesting to see what he says. He looks at them and he says, oh, you have little faith. Remember when we talk about faith, faith is made up of a number of components and one of the key components to that is your beliefs. And we spoke about this in the last few weeks. It's like a marriage. If you talk about a marriage, a marriage is made up of a husband and a wife. Okay? If you talk about faith, there are components to it. One of the components to it is belief. They are separate things, they are individual things, but they work together. You can't take away the wife and think you still have a marriage. 
It doesn't work off one entity. You have to have those two entities to, to, to define a marriage. Belief and faith have the same root word in the Greek. They work cohesively together, but they are not the same thing. But when Jesus is talking about their faith, what in essence he's talking about is he's sitting saying to them, look at the substructure of your life. What he's saying to them is, look at who you are. You've been with me all of this time, and yet I don't see who you are conforming more to my image. If you were more like me, and if I was more, uh, uh, if my word was more of a definer in who you were, you would have dealt with the situation differently. Why? Because you would have been aware of the authority and the power base that rested on you. You knew who I was, you knew what I had done, you knew about the word, but knowing wasn't enough. When he speaks about you of little faith, what he was really saying was, your identity is not established and mature enough the way that I thought it was. That's what he's talking to them about. We do that as people all the time. What ends up happening is, and it's, it, it's you know what, it's fine, it's part of the journey, as long as you learn from it. When kids learning to walk, I don't mind if you fall as long as you get up. I don't expect you to do it the first time. It's okay. I do that. I had an accident about 10 days ago. I've got an itchy nose now, but I had an accident 10 days ago. And I, I damaged some ribs. And the thing about it is, I'm still confessing and I'm believing for that. But in the natural, I don't feel it just yet. The point I'm telling you is this, is that sometimes it's like, you know, we think we just, we're the lone ranger out there who can't make things happen. What I'm telling you is everybody's on their journey. And we're learning to discover things about my identity that perhaps should be more established than what they are. I'm learning to discover things about who I am where I'm sitting saying, I need to bolster that maturity a little bit. Because I'm not perhaps at a place that I should be. The point of it is that so many Christians are like the disciples in the boat. Because we're not established in an identity that is grounded and rooted in authority and power, what ends up happening is we begin to allow our circumstances and situations to inform us. So what ends up happening is, and what comes out of us, is our true identity. What comes out of us is all of a sudden I recognize my inabilities and, and my, the, the fact that I'm compromised in the situation. And because I'm not able to deal with it, what is the first thing that I do? I look for Jesus in the boat. That's what most Christians do. What ends up happening is because I can't deal with the situation, I start praying, God, please will you fix this? The thing about it is, if Jesus was talking to you, what he would really say in a very kind, loving way is, oh, you have little faith. What he was saying to us is this, I'm looking for your identity to become established in me so that you handle the storm, not me. I'm looking for you to be able to handle that. So when the storm says to you, but who are you? You're able to sit and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you handle it from a different place as opposed to sitting saying, I don't know how we're going to deal with this. We're all going to die. The storms are so big and the howls are howling and things are so awful. And I'm so fearful and I'm so overcome by all the negativity. Jesus, where's Jesus? Somebody find Jesus. He wants to do something in our life. Because who you are introduces you to victorious living. Who you are is going to define what your future looks like. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 23, says all things are possible to him that believes. It speaks about the possibilities of our life being defined by our beliefs. If we talk about the beliefs being the things that ultimately informs our identity, another way of paraphrasing that is by sitting saying, who you are is going to determine how you deal with life. Who you are is going to determine how you deal with life. Who you are is going to determine the possibilities that you're able to walk into. Another paraphrased version, if we turn that on its head, is this. The possibilities in life that are available to you will be limited by your unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is any time I allow something to define my being. Something to define who I am. Something that defines the belief system of my life that is incongruent with truth. Anytime I allow something to define me that is not truthful, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. In other words, if you're not free, you're living a lie. You'll find yourself bound up. The problem with it is we're not able to walk into what God has for us because we find ourselves bound in unbelief. Who I am is incongruent with what God wants to do. All things are possible to him that believes. The thing is this, and I will leave you with this thought and we'll touch on this again next week. Who you are is of vital importance because it is something that positions you for how you deal with life. Moses is going into Egypt and he's about to let the, get the Egyptians freed and take them on, on their journey and all the rest. And he's having a conversation with God. And he says to God, who should I say has sent me? And God says to him, you just say, I am that I am has sent you. The Hebrew for that basically means, I am everything that you need me to be has sent you. He didn't say, I can do all things. You just go and tell them that the person who can do all things is sending you. He didn't go to his ability. He went to his identity. He said, I am that I am is sending you. It's important because when we get, when we get down to having a look at how God deals with things, it starts to give us some insight as to what God's plan was when he created us because we were created in his image. Do you know that God never made anything? God spoke everything into creation with the words of his mouth. Amen. He never made anything. He spoke it into existence. How was he able to speak it into existence from the word of his mouth? Because he knew where the authority lay. And where the authority lies, the power is. What was he doing? He was saying, who I am and what I'm all about is going to be one, the one that is responsible for bringing about anything that I'm creating. I don't need to go out and make it. I'll speak it into existence. Your identity is important. Jesus speaking to Peter. says to Peter, I hear everybody's got their ideas about who I am. You tell me, who am I? And Peter says, but you are the Christ, the son of the, the, the living God. And Jesus said to him, you're right. Why was Jesus able to bring heaven to earth? Because he knew and was grounded and rooted in an identity of being the Christ, the anointed one. Because I'm the anointed one, when I go into places, I'm looking for opportunities to give expression to who I am. 
When I go into situations where there are sick people, I'm looking to give expressions to who I am. When I need to pay my taxes, I'm looking for opportunities to give expression to who I am. Go and catch a fish. When 5,000 people need to, get, need to be fed, I'm looking for opportunities to give expression to my identity. Why? Who he was, the anointed one, was the one that was able to take heaven and introduce it to earth. It wasn't because he knew what the father wanted to do and he was trying to live off some set of rules. It wasn't because he knew what the father's intention was and so he was trying to do what he thought he should be doing. He was doing and expressing who he was. I am the Christ, the Son of God. And this is what it looks like. Jesus I know and Paul I know. Paul knew who he was. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He knew that he wasn't himself. That he was the Christ, the anointed one. He knew that the great one lived on the inside of him. That's why it says when, when Paul went places, things happened. Why? Because he knew who he was. And he was able to live from that identity and sit and say, when the anointed one moves into this place, the anointed one has a look at it and he sits and says, we need to bring about change. Because it doesn't fit my identity. The degree to which we're able to take who we are and bring it to the place where it reflects him is the place at which we're able to have influence in life. The challenge is, if we don't move to that place, we allow the circumstances and situations of our life to define our future because our influence is compromised. God loves you so much that he wants to establish you as a power base. How do you bring glory to God? When who I am reflects who he is. And when I live from that place. It's the challenge with people who want to know about God. They may be well-intentioned, but knowing about God is not going to change your life. Knowing him changes your life. Because knowing him has influence and brings about change on the inside of you. We're to be conformed to his image. He's brought us onto a journey called your destiny. Your destiny is spiritual in nature. Your destiny has everything to do with who you are becoming. Because who I become defines how I can live. That's why your destiny is so important. To be conformed to his image. Because when you conform to his image and you step into destiny, you'll recognize purpose. Jesus didn't have any problem recognizing purpose in his life. When he met people, he was able to recognize purpose, what he was supposed to do in that situation. How he was supposed to take and have um, influence. You'll recognize purpose when you're grounded in destiny. Destiny. 